The Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 34 through 50. John, chapter 12. Uh, what had just happened is that Jesus had come to Jerusalem. Do you remember what he was riding when he came into Jerusalem? Was it a donkey? Was it a young donkey? Just like the prophets had foretold, like Zechariah? And he had come to Jerusalem. Did people know that he was there now? Yes. Lots of people, right? Uh, crowds. And they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of what? Um. King of Israel. Their king had come. And Jesus identified as such as he got on that young donkey and as he came into Jerusalem. And he began to speak about his coming death, that he would be lifted up, lifted up to glory, but also lifted up on a cross. That his enthronement, if you will, the way by which he would receive this kingdom would be through his uh, death, which would happen very soon. So let me pick up then, because it begins kind of in that discussion, uh, verse 34, and I'll be reading to the end of the chapter in verse 50. So listen now we read from the Gospel of John. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, Believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. 
of life, eternal life, that we have in the words of Christ, the message that he delivered. Uh, We pray that you would bless the reading of your scripture that has been read, and you would bless the preaching to direct it uh, in truth into our hearts, that we might embrace Christ and his promises uh, as it is offered here in the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus is talking, and he's talking about light, and he's talking about darkness. We've heard him talk about this before, right? Did Jesus say that he is the light of the world? Yeah. And can you see things when it's dark? No. What happens if you walk in the dark? You might get lost. You might trip. You might fall. But if you're in the light, you can see where you're going. You are active in the daytime you usually do better things in the daytime whereas the evil deeds are usually done in the dark where you can't see them Uh, the imagery of light and darkness the metaphor of light and darkness is used to refer both to truth and to life the light of life uh, to truth and not falsehood and uh, to to righteousness instead of immorality Uh, Jesus comes, though, as the light, the light to the world, that people might not dwell in the darkness of death, but have the light of life. And he also shows the truth, the the gospel, the way of salvation being offered to those who dwell in darkness, in the shadow of death, those who are blinded by uh, their own sins, by the evil one, by the fallen world. But he has come to save the world. And he comes here and and says that much. Uh, to the people, to, to even his own people, to the Jews. Now, in this passage, he speaks about light at the beginning, and he speaks about light at the end. But we have a very important part in the middle as well, which speaks about seeing uh, and believing. You know, were they able to see the light? Would the light stay with them? Look at first at the first few verses, 34 through 36. The message there is to believe in the light while you have the light. Will people always have the light? No. Only if they believe in the light while they have it. See, Jesus was talking, and he was saying that he was going to be lifted up. He talked about being a seed who has to die to bear much fruit, and so they realized that he might be talking about his death, which was a good connection, because he was. John says he was talking about what manner of death he would die. And so they said, we thought... The Christ would last forever, would remain forever. We read in the law that the Christ would remain forever. So why do you speak of the Son of Man, like you, uh, being lifted up? What are you talking about? Who is this Son of Man? Well, on the one hand, yes, the Christ will remain forever. There were prophecies in the Old Testament. The law here simply refers to the Old Testament in general. But you can think of Isaiah 9, that's of his kingdom and its increase, there will be no end, uh, that the, the, the line of David would reign forever. In fact, this would be uh, once the kings of Israel or kings of Judah fell, that all of this expectation was not simply on a line of kings, but then on a coming king, a coming Messiah who would reign forever. Psalm 72 and 89 would speak of his reign never ending. So yes, the Christ will remain forever. But 
not in the same way. Jesus would not remain uh, on earth in his body the way that he was at that moment. Is Jesus walking around in the flesh with us at the moment right now? No, he would be lifted up. He would ascend how far up? To heaven. Yeah. All the way to heaven. And he would exercise his grace and his power from there. He's with us in a different way now, by his spirit. In fact, he's going to talk about that in a few chapters. Daniel 7 already portrayed that, seeing the Son of Man go into the Ancient of Days to receive a kingdom. So it wasn't a a terrible surprise that this lifting up would happen. But in speaking of the Christ remaining, they could get the wrong idea. Him remaining forever does not mean that you have unlimited time to believe in him. And so when Jesus answers, he doesn't just say, well, yes, the Christ remains forever. He says, be sure that you believe in the light while it is here. The gospel was being offered, and it would not be offered forever. He himself would be lifted up. He was preaching the gospel to them right now, but it wouldn't, he wouldn't always be there to preach the gospel to them. They had a t- a ch- an opportunity, and they ought to make use of the opportunity. If they embraced Christ, the light would remain forever. It would be eternal life. But if they did not, he would go, and they would remain in darkness. In other words, the light will only remain with you forever if you walk in the light and if you believe in the light. Those who have the light for a time, the light of the gospel, they have the opportunity to believe in it. Those who believe in the light become sons of light. What does it mean to be sons of light? Well, to be sons of disobedience is to be characterized by disobedience. To be sons of light are those who are characters of light. You know how children are like their fathers? So to be children of light is to be bright, to to be lit, to uh, have light, to reflect light, to belong to light. But those who continue to walk in darkness are lost, and they will be mastered by that darkness all the more when the light leaves. So believe in the light while you have it, lest darkness overtake you and master you. Who is the light? Jesus. Jesus is the light. He is the light of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So believe in him and walk in him. And those who believe in Jesus become sons of light. In other words, they can see. They know the truth. They can walk in the way and not stumble. They can become lights themselves. You can reflect Jesus and bear good fruit. Paul talks about that in, in the passage in Ephesians. We become children of light and bear that fruit in what is good and right and true, not participating in the deeds of darkness. Those who believe in Jesus do not stumble in the dark unto death, but rather shall be saved forever. Now, when I was preparing the sermon, as some of you know, I was in the basement. Have you ever been in the basement where the lights are on, but then someone else is going to leave the basement and turn the lights off and leave you in the dark? Right? What do you do if that's going to happen? You probably run to the light switch to turn it back on before it's off. Because if the lights turn off, you're not able to find the light switch because it's dark. Depending on how dark it is. Depending how dark it is, right. But if it's nighttime, once the person turns the light off, Oh, then, then you're stuck. 
or at least for a time, right? I mean, it's a basement. You can't go too far wrong. But you might trip on some Legos. You might hurt your feet. But if you get the light, if you get a flashlight, if you get to the light switch before the lights turn off, you can turn it on and you'll be fine. The light will stay with you. Well, Jesus was there giving them the light of the gospel. But it was going to go away. But if they got to the light, if they grabbed the light, if they believed in him, they would have the light forever. And that is the case for us who believe in Jesus. We have that light forever. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. Christ remains forever for those who receive him. Now, a lot of people did not receive him, right? We learned in chapter 1 of John that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Certainly there were some who did, but the great mass of the people and their leaders in particular did not believe in Jesus. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. This begins a very pivotal passage in the Gospel of John. The first 12 chapters recount the signs that Jesus did as he preached to the Jews. Uh, He did this sign. He did that sign. He revealed his glory. It was so that they would believe. Uh, The focus is his public ministry, him calling out to all, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the waters, living waters. But while enough people came to him to provoke the jealousy of the Jewish leaders, yet the majority remained in unbelief. Either they were hostile to him or they were afraid to follow him. But as the unbelief and hostility of the people reached or approached its climax, as he was about to be put to death by his own people as well as by the Romans, the gospel turns its focus to how Jesus taught his disciples in the week of his death. Notice, we're at the week of his death. There's only less than seven days before Jesus will be crucified, and yet we're only about halfway through the Gospel of John. There's a lot more left. What is coming next? Well, chapters 13 through 17 now is going to recount his teachings to his disciples, to those who have followed him. Chapters 18 through 20 will count his death and resurrection, but then 20 and 21 will recount some of his final meetings with his disciples, his instructions to them in breathing the Spirit upon them. And so now the focus is going to turn from this public ministry to all to preparing his disciples, his church, those who did receive him, who received a right to become the children of God. But this could be distressing to realize so many people, even though they saw the signs, did not believe. How could this happen? How could so many not believe when they had seen the signs? Wouldn't this widespread unbelief by the Jews themselves be proof that Jesus was not the Christ? Wouldn't you expect the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, to be received by his own people? How could so many people be wrong about him? But John writes about how this actually fulfilled the words of the prophet Isaiah. It was part of God's plan that the Son would be rejected by many. John quotes Isaiah 53, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? If you go to Isaiah, that's the beginning of a very important chapter, where it speaks of the suffering of the servant of the Lord. In fact, that passage begins at the end of chapter 52, 
And it speaks of how, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. Where does that language appear? High and lifted up. Well, he had just been talking about being lifted up, right? In John, we'll find later also John, in Isaiah 6, it speaks of the Lord being high and lifted up. But not only will the servant be high and lifted up, but he will grow up and he'll have no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He would be a person who would be rejected, that there would be those who would not believe him and would not believe the message. He would be exalted in the end, but this was part of the prophecy, part of what was expected. In fact, John goes so far as to say not only that they did not believe in Jesus, but what's more, they could not believe. Verse 39, therefore they could not believe. This was necessary to fulfill the words of the prophet. John then quotes again from Isaiah, from Isaiah 6. Not only were the people blind, but the Lord had blinded the people. He had blinded their eyes. He had hardened their hearts. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Now, originally, it's speaking of Isaiah, blinding their eyes, hardening their heart by this ministry of the word of God. So it would be, in, you know, God doing it through Isaiah's ministry. But here it's saying he, not you. Uh, and it's referring to the ministry of Christ, that uh, through this, their eyes had been blinded and their hearts hardened. And they did not believe. God judged their sins by blinding them, as he had done through the ministry of, I, of Isaiah years before. Now, if, if they had seen with their eyes, if they had understood with their hearts and turned unto God, then God would have healed them. It's not like they were saying, I, I believe, I want to follow you. And God says, no, sorry, I'm not going to save you. No, anyone who comes to Jesus will by no means be cast out and will be saved. But they did not turn. They did not repent because he had blinded and hardened them. It's not saying that Jesus corrupted morally pure people, that they were perfectly good people, deserving only of good things, and then God came along and made them wicked. Um, but rather, it's saying that he judged sinners for their sins by withholding his grace from them and blinding them through this message instead, even as he had hardened Pharaoh years before. Salvation is a gift of God, sovereignly given by him, and it's not deserved by any mortal, any sinner. Now, Isaiah said these things, John says, because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Well, who's his glory and and who's him that he spoke of? I think in context, it should be straightforward that he spoke of Jesus, that he spoke of Jesus. Certainly Isaiah 53 speaks of Jesus, that he spoke of, of him and having seen his glory. When did Isaiah see his glory? The most obvious reference is to Isaiah 6, which he had just quoted. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. 
Jesus had just said, I'm going to be lifted up. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Well, Isaiah had already seen him high and lifted up, seen his glory. He said, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. John doesn't have any problem identifying Christ as God himself, as the word who was with God and who was God. John wrote in the first chapter that we have seen his glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father. But Isaiah had seen his glory already and had spoke of him. Isaiah also foresaw the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories that awaited him and wrote of those things too in Isaiah 53. Isaiah saw his glory. John and the apostles saw his glory. But many people saw his glory revealed in those miraculous signs and miracles and refused to believe him. It's not that the evidence was lacking. In fact, many of the authorities, many of the authorities, not just one or two, many of the members of the Sanhedrin, the rulers of the Jews, believed in a certain way, that inwardly they assented to the truth of Christ's claims, that they realized that he was not a wicked blasphemer, that this man spoke the truth, but they did not confess this faith that they had because they feared the Pharisees. They did not want to be cast out of the synagogue. They did not want to be excommunicated. A couple of them, we know, eventually did confess this faith. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, at least they took a step out publicly, um, publicly to some degree, and asking for the body of Jesus and, and burying him. But for a time, they were secret for this very reason, that they were afraid. Others, it seems, remained in fear and held back through the fear of man and the love of the glory that comes from man. They loved the, the glory. It's literally the word glory here. They saw his glory, but they instead liked the glory that came from man, the praise of man, rather than the glory that comes from God. So beware the fear of man, which can hold us back. Beware the love of the glory that comes from man. That was the, the Achilles heel of the Pharisees, that they did things for the praise of man and not for God. Instead, love the glory that comes from God. That is what we should do. Love the praise of God. Look to God and to the glory he gives through Christ, to confess Christ before men even if it means suffering for his name. Well, having made these remarks, and and the Apostle John is the one making these remarks, as he's explaining now, after the fact, why these things had happened, how this fulfilled prophecy, um, how we ought to to think of this, this hardening upon much of the people. This has happened before. Of course, elsewhere in Scripture, Stephen will point out Moses was at one point rejected by his people. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. You know, this is not new for the people to be ungrateful for the deliverer sent to them. Um, But we have a final call from Jesus, a, a final call to the people as he cries out at least one more time in verses 44 through 50. And Jesus cried out and said, and so uh, before John gives attention now to his private instructions to his disciples, he he speaks one more of this call that Jesus cried out to the people of the Jews. 
Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. In these verses that I just read, he speaks of whoever believes in Jesus. What is true of those who believe in Jesus? Well, they believe in the Father. They are receiving him as the one who is sent as the Savior. If they see Jesus, they have seen the Father. For he is... He and the Father is one. And those who believe in Jesus do not remain in darkness. The Christ remains forever, same word here. They do not remain in darkness. They remain instead with Christ, who is the light. He is the light of the world. And those who believe in him, now it's explicit, Jesus is the light that they ought to believe in, that they might not remain in darkness, in falsehood, in sin and death. Well, what about those who do not believe in Jesus? What about those instead who hear Jesus but do not receive his word? Well, then verses 47 through 48 talk about that. Jesus says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Now, Jesus is not saying that he is not the judge. He has taught that clearly he will judge the world on the last day. But his mission, his message, the gospel is a message of salvation. The gospel is a message of grace. It's the rejection of this message that will hold them even more accountable for their sins. It is the word that he has spoken that will judge them on that last day. Again, another reference to the final judgment on the last day. He'll raise his people to glory on the last day, but others will be judged, condemned on the last day. Those who do not receive his words neglect the Savior who came to save the world. They have a judge, the message that he has spoken. In other words, they are more accountable for hearing it, but not receiving it. If you have heard this message and reject it, you will be judged worse than those who never heard it to begin with. In the final verses, 49 through 50, Jesus makes it clear that he spoke as the Father had charged him. He had this message, the message of eternal life. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. If they're rejecting Christ, they are rejecting the Father, and they have no claim to the God of Israel, who, of course, is the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he who does not have the Son does not have the Father. Now, Jesus is equal with the Father in his essence, eternally equal in power and glory, but as the Redeemer for our salvation, he undertook an office in which he obeyed his Father's will. This office of Redeemer, of Messiah, directed all that he said. All that he said while he was on earth was fixed on this office as the Christ, as the Redeemer. And he had become man, in fact, in this capacity to be the God-man. And what was the charge that he was given? What was the office that he was to fulfill? What was the message that he was to proclaim? He says the commandment is eternal life. That is the charge that he had been given. God had given eternal life in his son, placed it in him. 
The words that he spoke, the signs that he did, they were spoken, they were done, so that you might believe in him and have eternal life in his name. He would obtain that life for sinners by his death and resurrection, and his message was an offer of that life through faith in him. So the conclusion is that those who neglect the message of Christ remain in darkness and death. But those who hear his word and receive it do not remain in death, but remain with light and life. They have passed from death into life. And we ought to therefore proclaim the excellencies of him who has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. While you have the light, while you have the gospel being proclaimed to you, while you have the message of salvation, believe in the light that you might become sons of light and therefore walk in the light that you might keep his words as those who are his. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the message of salvation, for sending your Son uh, to be the light of the world, that we might be saved. We thank you for your grace that is fixed upon us who are quite unworthy of it, who have sinned and who have defiled ourselves and who have uh, everyone gone his own way. We thank you for bringing us near through your Son, Jesus, and pray that you would grant this grace uh, of faith to all our church and to those beyond our church, to the lost, that you would gather in your elect and bring light to this dark world more and more, that we would shine brightly, that our good works would reveal your character and your grace among us. We pray that you would work in us, that we might be sons of light indeed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.